When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the latest episode of BCC The Other Side, UFOs are flying over Canada, Bryce shares a haunting secret stash, and I uncover the elusive Mongolian death worm. To subscribe, go to patreon.com slash Club. It's Bigfoot Collector's Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. Everybody, welcome to... Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to... <laughs> Jump the gun there. Jump You're really the gun. excited. I'm excited. You know what? I am. Uh, guys, it's Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm your host, Michael. Oh, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. You can hear me like slow, like, oh, just a little, little pump, tonight, huh? Pump, pump the brakes just a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Oh God! You guys know why I'm singing that, don't you? What? What? You know why I'm singing that, don't you? No, it's from The Little Mermaid. Yeah, because I got my legs, yo. I'm coming out of the ocean. I'm Max Vax, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna go nice. find me a prince. Nice, congrats. Oh. Welcome to welcome to land, life on it land. Is it feels good? I'm walking. I'm listen. I'm walking around my neighborhood on the dog walks with no mask now. I got it in the I got it in the pocket in case anyone gets nervous. But literally, <laughs> this is my approach. If I see someone coming and they have a dog I want to pet and they seem cool, I say. I'm Max Vaxxed, <laughs> just so they know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you need a T-shirt that says that? I've thought about it. I've thought about Max having Vaxxed. a Max little... That's good. It's like a good. It's like a character from like a an action movie about a guy who got both rounds of the vaccine. Yeah, he's like then, a character that can turn it, He turns into the form of 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 the thing of the of the of the thing that fights any disease that he comes up against. <laughs> Max Vaxxed. Yeah, Max Vaxxed. Um, but, uh, I don't know if that's the appropriate way to walk up to people just screaming at them. I'm vaccinated, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to let them know that, you know, I, Hey, if you saw me in my neighborhood for a year and a half, you knew that I was full on masker. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to breathe that sweet LA smoggy air again. Mm, It truly is. Bryce, you're coming up pretty, pretty soon. Aren't you on your 14 days? After yeah oh dude I, I i i jumped the gun a little early i i went i went back into the gym this week and i was yes, like i'm ready absolutely. to go yeah of course i'm ready to go yeah you were you were tired you, you were you were over this 
three weeks in weekend <laughs> um, i'm ready to start my life where, yeah weren't we all yeah weren't we all well it's coming back boys Ooh, it's gonna be a good summer uh okay we got a great guest we're gonna get to them in just a moment but before we do uh we have a little clubhouse business um excited to announce we have a brand new shirt for you guys available now designed by listener derek cole yeah. Inspired by the BCC clubhouse, it portrays Bigfoot chilling in a log cabin full of BCC Easter eggs and reading a book called Finding Yourself. <laughs> uh, if you've been following us over at our Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club, you may have seen a pen and ink version of this shirt, uh, which Derek has like fully rendered and colorized and made into a, a, a T-shirt. We loved it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And like you said, there's so many great little uh, Easter Easter eggs and nods to the show. It's a I lo- it's just a wonderful illustration. Yeah. So I love this shirt so much. I'm, yeah. I I it's every time I'm like, "Oh, this is my favorite shirt we've done." But like, this is kind of <laughs> my favorite shirt now. <laughs> well, um so you can go get that right now at wearecampfire.media, click their shop button to order it, or you can click on the Bigfoot collectors club merch link in our show notes and some of you guys were asking how do i find the show notes uh in a podcast just pull up pull pull up us on your player as you're playing it and if you scroll down there should be like a link if apple podcast has changed it recently where it says like episode links you tap on that and then all the links that we throw up in the show are there for you um, so that's how you find that through the podcast app. So, uh, go get, go pick, go, go pick up that shirt designed by Derek Cole. Thank you, Derek. We love it. Um, and, uh, speaking of the podcast app, if you want to support the show, uh, without dropping a dime, like you could, if you subscribe to the parallel dimension of BCC, the other side, our Patreon, where you'll get three to five bonus episodes every month for $5. That's over on patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, but if you don't want to do that and you'd be crazy not to, go to Apple Podcasts, please. Give us a five-star review. And if you do, uh, boys, what will we do? You're going to read it on the air. I might read it on the air like this one uh, from <laughs> Geos1234, a paranormal gem. Geos writes five stars. The cast have great chemistry and a fantastic sense of humor, and their knowledge of the subject matter is geek philosopher level. This is Ooh. one of my favorite shows. <laughs> nice, I, I think like that. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we're like we're not experts; we're geek philosophers. I think that makes. I sense. I love that. Yeah, that works. Um, so do all that. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's get to this guest. This is the real reason everybody's here. Oh boy. Guys, we've done it again. We've nabbed a real star. Tonight's guest is an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, a writer. Uh, she currently stars in the brand new Peacock comedy series, Rutherford Falls. Club Scouts of all timelines, please give a warm welcome salute to Jana Schmeeding. Woo! Hi! Woo. <laughs> of all got- timelines that's so inclusive yeah. <laughs> we got everybody so everyone that you ever guys are lived just or will live such diverse uh inclusive um, um guys cover yeah, which we try to be we come up short often but you know every time I'm like 
I'm like, Club Scouts of America? No, it's got to be the world. No, it's got to be the... <laughs> nope, it's got to be all timelines. That's what yes. it's... That's all timelines in the multiverse. <laughs> all possibilities, everybody. Everyone who considers himself to be a Club Scout, uh, we welcome you. <laughs> Jana, uh, we are so excited. Uh, before we get into all the spooky stuff, I got to let you know, I watched... Because you're coming on the show, I watched the first two episodes finally oh great of rutherford falls this afternoon oh boy oh boy are you a delight in a true star in the show so so fun so funny gives i'm sure people say this it gives you i mean it's a michael shore partly michael shore show Mm -hmm. it's got that like parks and recs vibe and some mm-hmm. of the office vibe so if you like those shows you want to check this out but you're so good in it thank do you, you. Wanna, do you want to tell everybody what it's about sure yeah it's um essentially it's a, a show about uh the uh, it's a show that god damn what's wrong with me really put you on the spot <laughs> now don't, i don't even know what it's about guys uh <laughs> i'll be honest i haven't watched it <laughs> I did write and perform on it, but I haven't watched it, so I actually don't know how it turned out. I just um, cash those checks when they yeah. come in the mail. That's yeah, all maybe. I do. <laughs> Direct deposit. My first two jobs in comedy. Um, uh, no, it's a it's a story about a small town called Rutherford Falls and two friends who grew up together. Nathan Rutherford, who is sort of the, uh, you know, is the descendant of the quote unquote founder of the town. Um, of Rutherford Falls and his friend uh, Regan Wells who is of the fictitious tribal nation uh, called the Minashanka which exists on the border of like Rutherford Falls exists on the border of the Minashanka nation and it's about um, sort of the inciting incident in the show is that uh, the statue of Lawrence Rutherford the town's founder is threatened with uh, removal uh, not for the reason that you think it might be mm-hmm. <laughs> removed, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, and it, we sort of see how uh, Nathan deals with the um, the threat of a narrative shift in his life, a historical narrative shift. And uh, at the same time, his best friend, Regan, who, you know, they sort of support each other in each other's uh, museum endeavors. She's trying to uh, create a, a cultural center for her nation um, and is writing the wave of sort of this elevated Minashanka uh, historical narrative being elevated in her community. And so uh, it's it's sort of, we see the ripples of this, um, this narrative shift happening between these friends and also in the town and in the community. It's so great. You got, and of course, uh, Nathan is played by Ed Helms and Regan yeah. is played by you. I yeah. mean, you're like a comedy star. This is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> it's really amazing. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, I mean, I've been watching Ed Helms my entire life and I've been doing comedy for, uh, you know, 15 years, um, sketch and improv and solo comedy in New York and here. And um, I think it's uh, embarrassing for Hollywood to admit, <laughs> I'm sure Hollywood's blushing, but uh, <laughs> that this is the first native uh, sitcom that has ever existed. Which is this, amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. It's huge. Yeah. And yeah. you are, you're Lakota Sioux, correct? 
That's right. Yes, I am Minakanju and Sichangu Lakota, but I'm enrolled in the Cheyenne River Lakota Sioux Tribe. Got it. Okay, gotcha. Oh, so cool. Congratulations. I love it. The show's like already juggling like really complicated issues, but in such a accessible, funny way um, that sort of subverts the whole national discussion. And then I also have to say, just for listeners, a friend of the show, Paul F. Tompkins, uh, is in the second episode and has one of the funniest guest star performances i have seen in years <laughs> like truly like, so really? funny so he's so funny on it and he plays like just the best uh character and i really encourage you to um you know i i i know that like peacock is kind of another streamer that everybody's like yes. yeah they're getting a peacock but you're gonna watch girls five eva and you're gonna love that. <laughs> uh, you might as well watch Peak uh, Rutherford Falls on Peacock. And I will say that you can get a free seven day trial on Peacock and binge uh, Rutherford in those seven days if you yeah, don't do it. Pay. Uh, and that's the, first the way to three, go. Yeah, do that. And the first three episodes are free, but you don't even need to sign up. You know what that's I mean? That's right. Like, and the so show really starts cooking with the native storylines, especially in episode four and beyond. So. Great. Um, yeah, I'm really well, excited t- for people. To I watch tell it. you what, Peacock's got my money now. Uh, I really love the show, and you're great on it. I cannot Thanks wait so to much. see it. playing such a specific, funny, like real person. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is, is so yeah, which so is great. something we've never seen in uh, native characters on TV and film made by white people, literally yeah. ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading an article today, and there I, I don't think it was you. It might have been one of your co-stars. Maybe it was you, where someone was like, yeah, usually when you see uh, a Native American character on a show, they, like, turn into a werewolf. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that was Sierra. <laughs> Our showrunner, Sierra Teller-Ornelas, is uh, Navajo and Mexican-American, and she she's really good at... She used to work at the Museum of Natural History, the American Indian... The National Museum of American Indian, which is a Smithsonian museum oh, wow. in oh, wow, yeah. uh, D.C., and she talks about how, um, you know, when Twilight came out, a bunch of um, a bunch of girls like came to uh, NMAI, and they were like, "We want to learn about the Quileute people." Um, essentially, they were like trying to find out how to turn into werewolves, and oh and <laughs> that's like the impact. That's why we chose to be a fictional nation because Mm. a fictional tribal nation because truly like when you uh, have when you're telling fake history about a white community uh you want to also like make sure that you're not impacting in any way like sierra says like with the flick of the pen they change the quileate people's experience forever because you know that of course people are going up to the pacific northwest and being like duh let me like um find out how to be a werewolf from the quilliet people (laughs) like just no shame also Um, we heard there are some young hunks around uh, yeah maybe Uh, they could sign my dvds (laughs) i don't know (laughs) totally totally um so yeah we we truly are like native people are really relegated to like either magical uh and this is not even just in entertainment like this is true for just like existing in life but like either magical like hippy dippy spiritual weirdos or leather and feathers you know we're trapped in the past um so 
There's a lot of Time stories to that are told about about us, but not uh, you know, not our stories from our own experiences. And this is one of them. There were five native writers in the in the writers' room, including Sierra, our showrunner. That's amazing. That's so, That's cool. so cool. Well, everybody yeah. go check it out. It's great. It's so funny. I love it. Another like it's like uh, it's got that like uh, I love Ted La- Ted Lasso. It's like oh, this is giving me the Ted Lasso vibes. I love this. This is good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a healthy uh, a, a healthy approach to storytelling. I think. Yes. Oh well, thank you for being here. Um, now, now we ask the question applies to everyone's magical background, which is what, wherever you come from. You set yourself up nice, Mike. Nice. Nice. Little boy. From, from all timelines. Yeah, from all timelines. Uh, what is your personal paranormal history, Janet? You say you listen to the show. You must be into this stuff. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Listen, I will say that like, um, notoriously native people at least the native people that i grew up with like pretty conspiracy theory like fans um oh wow you know where we have been uh wronged by the government sure <laughs> yeah that, 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 that tracks yeah we're, we're not a, we're not a trusting <laughs> yeah. you know we don't trust uh the the government's lies um so yeah we have like a lot of like um we also, I think, have like a really, uh, I don't know, I want to say like decolonized approach to like uh, spirituality, ghosts and spirituality and, and like a real understanding of like existing in simultaneously with our ancestors and like, mm. you know, not. Uh... But anyway, point is, I watched a Lifetime TV movie in like fifth grade about <laughs> alien greys. Yes. <laughs> like like impregnating are. women and they were going to like self help like like a like group therapy this about it. This had to be intruders. It, it had to be. I, I, I remember you guys maybe covered it or or maybe Mark I can't remember who did cover it. Um, I think but... it's intruders because that was our friend Bree Blair played one of the women in a flash bla- flashback. <laughs> right. She's right. been on the show. Oh, and that was the, is this is this the one where like the little girls chase the little boy out to the lake and then they see a flying saucer over the pond and then he turns and looks at them and he's got like an alien human hybrid face. <laughs> I don't know, but if I saw that shit, it would probably give me like crazy flashbacks. All I yeah. remember is it was a two part series. It was like a two part made for TV series. And I'm like Googling it as I'm saying this, but um, Google intruders I feel like it had maybe Candace Cameron in it or something oh, or like somebody so from the whole house. But I could be totally wrong about that. Anyway, I like that. I like that. I mean, I like you, the, you sold me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole it house was... needs close encounters. <laughs> I want to see that. Definitely. Yeah, it was definitely more like Full House meets Fire in the Sky because she was like <laughs> fucking terrified. And it would she explain was... Michelle Tanner. That kid was too <laughs> smart for her own good at her own age. At that young age, truly, clearly, she's I an mean, alien human hybrid. You got it, dude. Like how many? toddlers are saying that um but yeah i think i i remember the um that in the in the in the movie uh they explained that the aliens skip a generation when they abduct people and i 
had like internalized certain like teachings <laughs> from this made for tv movie that i secretly watched in my aunt's house when my parents were like downstairs partying uh i like had like mentally made a note of like i gotta watch this movie i was fascinated and so and and then i couldn't sleep for like five months like i was having terrors at night because i thought i was gonna get abducted i lived in rural oregon like my i was surrounded by like forest oh yeah like pasture and forest and like the moon like would crest at night and like cast amazing shadows through the woods like into my like giant bedroom uh window and it was just like i just like lived in where you would expect to get abducted i like grew up in that zone and i was like dude it's gonna fucking happen to me i need to just like figure out how to accept that this is my life <laughs> oh i get it's horrible. it no i was that way and i would i would often like think about on road trips and stuff or vacations I'd be like, well, I'd never want to live here because I would absolutely, there's too much, there's too much room for a UFO to land. I would absolutely get abducted. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, if I think too much about it, Mm -hmm. is it summoning them? But I can't not think about it. Like, Oh God, I was, but I was also fascinated. So like I, I both like was afraid and I was also fascinated. And so I, I was doing a lot of, research um and like you know going down before like internet rabbit holes existed oh wow uh i was just like reading about it do you 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 remember any of the books you read um no uh but they weren't like they weren't the the degree of books that you're reading bryce Mm. i you are like a deep deep researcher and i was reading i will say this I had friends, family friends in Oregon. You know, Oregon is um, is very, very bought in on Sasquatch. Of course. On Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Bigfoot country up there. And I grew up in the Willamette Valley, you know, right along the very close to the Pacific Crest Trail. And, uh, and I had family friends who... Um, claimed to when they were building their house uh, out in rural Oregon um, the uh, Bob the, the the father of this family he heard he found and heard some crazy shit out there Wow! first of all he said he found uh, like piles of dung that had not only like rat bones in it, but cherry pits. So it was like an omnivorous right. poop pile. Right. Um, and he heard, well, he was like, w- there were two events where he heard a high pitched, like in the valley, like in the canyon. Um, he was like on his roof, building the roof. He heard in the canyon um, a high pitched yell, scream, sound yep that made his like blood curl it was just terrifying and then he heard it again uh going to bed one evening (sighs) and he woke up his wife debbie and she heard it and so he bought a bunch of books these like kind of smaller like clearly it was like an independent press like public public uh publisher that was like 
you know, these like skinny books about Bigfoot and like people's accounts of Bigfoot. And I used to go when we would go visit them, I would just like go straight for the Bigfoot books. (laughs) That's how it starts. Yeah. Yeah. People like have those small experiences and it feels like an an invitation to to research what the fuck is going on. And a lot of people do. They're like, okay, I know that wasn't a bear. I know that wasn't a moose or a human. And so I need to go get myself some literature. Yes. And I could now, now, now that I'm an adult and looking back on that and like, I've heard the closest thing that I feel like I've heard to what, how he described it is maybe like a mountain lion. Mm. And, but, uh, and there are mountain lions in Oregon. Sure. Um, But I mean, I wasn't there and I can't imagine. He said that the sound was so powerful. It was clearly from a, from very far away and um it was just so powerful it just was echoing across the canyon and i i believe i believe him yeah he would he's not the kind of person that would just make something like that up so yeah i feel like i was exposed early on to a lot of like paranormal paranormal things um i also just was kind of raised in a world where like you know, ghosts and spirits exist with us and not in a harmful way. I've never felt threatened, but um, I also consider myself kind of a, um, what is the word? It's not psychic, but, uh, but I, I have dreams. I have dreams that like predict things that actually happen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh before I want to get into this, I just wanted to let you and the listeners know that I found the movie, the miniseries. Oh, God. What's it called? It's called Visitors of the Night. It's from <laughs> 1995. Mm-hmm, uh, stars Candace Cameron. You called it. Um, uh, here's the summary. See if this rings any bells. Judith notices some very creepy things are happening around town. She and the town sheriff make a chilling discovery. The town's teens are disappearing. When they reappear, they are suffering from amnesia. Judith is even more troubled when her daughter, Katie, is missing. When she returns and begins acting strangely, it becomes evident alien powers have taken over the town. (sighs) Judith must stand up to her fears and rid the town of the aliens that have come to claim her daughter. Rid the town. I love Holy it. Holy shit. This is like that intense. seems like way more involved than I remember it being. I but I Marky also Post as Judith. <laughs> also, five out of ten on IMDB. I just looked at it. Boy, what a dun. <laughs> that's a, uh, hey, that's a well, listen, we've watched worse on the Patreon. We definitely <laughs> have. Yeah. But I do remember maybe I don't know if uh if this woman also Oh yeah, conceived during an alien abduction. That's right. Yes, because mm-hmm, now I'm remembering. I remember specifically she got abducted because she was impregnated. There was this. She like came out of a, like a time lapse and was like, "Oh no, I'm my baby's gone." Such a big wow. theme in TV and film in yeah. in the '90s. Like X Files yeah. had that. This had that. Intruders had that. You like, know, I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with like uh, s- some kind of like '90s satanic panic slash like um, abortion legislation or something. Course, you know, yes. like yeah, 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 something socio political that is like very like is scaring women. 
basically that, scaring women yeah. about losing our babies. Well, yeah. and it ties back into like, you know, what we've said a million times on the show, like fairy folklore of like changelings, you know, of like babies being being taken out of their cribs and replaced with like fairy fairy clones, basically. And I also wonder if it has something to do with like just the fears of like I'm I'm work I'm mothers were entering the the workforce and and mm-hmm. afraid of leaving their children at the daycare or at home alone and that you know they're neglecting their kids and their kids aren't really their kids or something I don't know yeah. or there's literally an alien hybridization program <laughs> going on I mean that is an alternative <laughs> that's true. That's that a is possibility true. it's all the other you're, you're right Bryce that. it's it's the other can't leave that out. It's all real. No, it's right. true. It's true. <laughs> well, I wasn't in the fifth grade. I was not ruling <laughs> yeah. it out. I was believing it all, and uh, you win, Hollywood. Uh, You've done it I, again, Hollywood. <laughs> You've done it again. You got me. You old dog, you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. I want to get into the dreams, and I want to get in a little bit. I want to circle back to something you said, and I don't want to be the like, please, uh, you as a native person, please come teach us all about. You know, I don't want to be that guy. Oh. But, oh, but re- you can. I give you permission. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I, I really like this thing you said early on about the decolonized approach to spirituality. Yes. And can you unpack that a little bit? I that's a really that like set off some lights in my head. Yeah. So I think um ultimately uh this land is indigenous land and really uh you know Native people have been occupying this place called United States or America or whatever for thousands and thousands of years. So, of course, we have our own, you know, there and, and there's 540 different sovereign nations, you know, across this landscape and that have their own religious beliefs, their own, you know, languages, their own, you know, some are um, matrilineal, some are patrilineal, some, you know, many are like, um, you know, have multiple genders, uh, more than two, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, when we, I think we have a very limited scope in our current culture about what, um, like what constitutes, spirituality and largely informed by christianity of course and just a lot of western beliefs and um sometimes some eastern beliefs um but i think uh because our um our ways were completely ripped from us and a genocide took place and you know we were actually native people uh didn't it was illegal to practice our spirituality, our religious mm-hmm. beliefs until about 1972 when like, the religious freedom act passed. Um, wow. And we were in danger if we were doing, you know, if we were practicing our, our beliefs. And um, so I get really like touchy about shit, like sage and shit, you know, like that kind of stuff that is so easy and frivolous to have for, for people to have access to. Um, especially non-native people have access to, but, um, I don't even have access to like learning my language, my native language. So it's like, it's an equity issue, but also, um, a a way to like, that I approach a lot of these issues is through a decolonized lens, which is to say that like, what, what more is there to know and understand about my own spiritual beliefs, my, my, my ancestors' spiritual beliefs, um, Pre, pre-colonization in essence you know what kinds of things 
were we learning from this land and were we in communication with this land about that were informing our beliefs? And there's Mm -hmm. so much that we are separate from now that, that is a part of this land and the way that, you know, nature functions. And um, so, yeah, I think that like some of that is, I don't know. Um, I always think like, it's so weird that when we have like ghost sightings and stuff, or we talk about ghost sightings, I think that like, there's largely this like predominant narrative that it's like, oh, colonial, this colonial white boy is haunting the mansion, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's never not a white person, first of all. Uh, (laughs) Which is crazy because... Some old nun, some (laughs) Victorian lady. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Truly, it's always Victorian. Um, And... And our beliefs about like, oh, it's haunting a place or it's haunting a time or it's or it's a, you know, I think that these are just like really largely informed and and very, um, I don't know, they just seem so stuck in in place and time. And I and I just I don't. I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm like open to the bigger mysteries of the universe. Um but I, what I do know is that I come from a people who had like cosmology before there was, you know, f- horoscopes, yeah. <laughs> a whole mm-hmm. cosmology and, you know, a way of navigating their life by the like lunar calendar, you know, like this, there's just um, ways of existing that are beyond this way that we know now. And so it helps me to sort of like uh, question question the way in which we look at like the paranormal. I think it, um, that's one hundred percent. It makes so much sense, and it's it's tough too. I mean, I know a problem that I come across when researching stuff, you know, in stories of high strangeness is oftentimes, especially when you get into Bigfoot and some uh, native people's mythology and stuff, they'll be like the native, the natives called it, you know, called it Sasquatch or called this creature this. And, but you're usually getting that information through a white author, you know yes. what I mean? And so I'm like, did they, I don't know. Did they, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm always right. coming up on that problem where I'm like, I don't know if I can take this person's word for it. And then trying to find the source of that yeah. is really, really hard. And oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll leave that out. Cause I'm not sure if I can confirm it or I'll be like, I guess you can take the word for it. Or they say the indigenous peoples called it this. I, but it's really hard to know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to know that if it's true. And, and, you know, I've approached, um, this idea with a couple of my native friends and colleagues and been like, God, I just really want a podcast that is us telling our own spooky stories. Right. But it's such a sensitive issue because of uh, the, the acts of colonialism and because of like goop and shit, like it's ter- It's a, a scary environment to share your information. It's, so much has been taken already. It's like, yeah, right. now we're going to give you our ghost stories and you're, we know you're going to make movies about it. You're just going to do the Quilliet thing and you're going to fucking like, like just ex- exploit it. We right, don't trust right. that outsiders can handle um, our stories with care. And right. that, that mistrust is like, based on proof that literally it's always 
not handled with care. <laughs> I mean, we we handle most of our stories of high strangeness without care. We don't know what we're doing, <laughs> yeah. no matter where it comes from. That is true. So yeah. I get it. I get it. No, it's true. It's it's and it makes it hard. You know, we this doing this podcast brushes into so many different backgrounds and territories, but the one that comes up a lot is this issue as being here in the United States. And you're like, I don't know. Is this, I don't know. Was Thunderbirds a thing? Was it? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I mean, it's like, I think about Lakota, um, like spiritual beliefs a lot. And it's just like, um, when I, 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 uh, learn about it and read about it, uh, myself, you know, and it's, it's so different. It's so different from what I understand to be true. You know, like, like the origin story of the Lakota people is feminine and it's comes from a white, it's a, it is a, um, uh, what do we call it? It's, it's, it's a woman who is seen at first by a, a few men, um and she's a buffalo she's a white buffalo calf hmm. and so her name is white buffalo calf woman cool. and she evolved she turns herself into a woman from a buffalo so you already have like cryptozoology yeah, in so our cool. actual like religious beliefs you know mm. and we mm. call um like the uh the god like it's it's uh the gods in the west earth the thunder beings and they come when the thunder comes and yeah. the image of that is like uh horses uh, uh like mustangs uh you know galloping through the clouds i mean it's very eastern feeling you know it's not yeah. it's not like a monotheistic um it, rigid it sounds like system. perched uh in in uh like in in, mm -hmm. in eastern european like the norse gods you know the wild hunt you know they're like ghosts riding through horses during a winter storm you know yeah Christmas, well, and I, I can only uh, imagine sort of just the wellspring uh, of spirituality when it's sort of unsullied when you're when you when you're you know when you're vibing with nature i mean all one needs to do yes. is to you know, and I've I've vibed with nature, and, and shit talks to me. You know what I mean? It's like absolutely, and, and and just all kinds of things spring from that relationships. You know, big and small, and, and yeah, it, I mean, it, talk about incredible. magic. The, re so the relations that we have with like our our surroundings, like the and and you know, Lakota people and most indigenous people on these lands didn't have a hierarchy of relationship like yeah. we do in our culture where it's like humans are at the top of the food chain and then below us are like you know and we cultivate plants uh. so that we feed ourselves we're not giving back like we have a, a completely different approach where uh, humans are a part of the ecosystem you yeah. know we're not dominating the ecosystem we are a crucial element we are planters as much as we are cultivators and we are um, you know, hunters as much as we are like um, people who, you know, a, a lot, there's this huge narrative that uh, like white people have that is like, oh, we settled the, the wild west and it was just a, a, a wild landscape when the reality is, is these lands were cultivated over millennia like they were highly cultivated they were we're cities th right. absolutely no, no, no. And, and we 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 settled them we <laughs> i i think i we conquered sure. the wild landscape <laughs> have, you, have you seen the guns though we... <laughs> 
pretty neat. It's just it was like, a new world. It was new when we found brand it. New. Brand spanking new. There was dirt everywhere. Everywhere. Very dusty. Very, very dusty. But it was a beautiful and bountiful because we had made it so and we worked we worked the land and we created these migratory patterns in collaboration with the animals so that hunting was more manageable and you know of course that's how we lived (laughs) it makes total sense and so what um what a part of the magic we are and that we have sort of displaced ourselves from that magic from that um that really beautiful and like sacred relationship totally is so, so much so up. that it's like it's hard to even imagine no that, yes. that balance it's so unbalanced and and yes and we could see it's pretty easy to see some of the deficit of of, of that unbalance and just and god and how and where we live and how we get our food just every yeah everyday yeah. life things it's a it's all just like oh it yeah can really get me down <laughs> i highly recommend yeah. bryce and and any of you read um a book um called braiding sweetgrass mm. by an ojibwe uh author and she's a native um botanist and she talks about this uh this relationship and it's really beautiful it's very calming and it reassures us that like we can we can return to that like it's cool. it would be it is possible and it and it should be possible but anywho back to the ghosts what about these dreams what are you uh, seeing oh, what's yeah. happening give us an example of one of these pressing dreams coming true god damn i i feel like i need to like really really like I, i've just always been a i've always been a dreamer um, a person who has vivid dreams. I've also played with dreaming, like in my adolescence a lot. I was like reading about um, lucid dreaming, and um, I was reading a lot about um, what is it called? Uh, astral projection. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And getting into that kind of stuff because I was noticing that my dreams uh, were uh impactful in my life like I was having like real weird experiences where I I mean it it, and often wasn't like so prescient that I would wake up and be like I gotta go uh, I gotta go to one world trade (laughs) (laughs) you know it was like um it was like I would have a scene in my dream and then the next day that exact scene would happen in real life you know just like a weird match and i really believe and i do to this day that uh our dreaming life is a life it is a different reality i i believe that i experience a different reality when i go to sleep 100 percent. and we and we still still don't know much about what that is you know scientists are really sort of just grasping at straws trying to figure out you know what comprises that dream world and 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 how is information pulled from there and verifiable here on the other side it's 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 incredible to think about and you yeah. know i i've actually just picked up a, a a book again on lucid dreaming i'm starting to read about it again and trying to get back into it and and i'm i i've sort of discovered that you know astral projection seems to kind of go along with lucid dreaming i hadn't realized that before have you have you ever had any sort of successes with with astral projection or anything like that? 
I can't say for sure if I have or have not because it's really hard to like test the yeah test the system you know right I think like I haven't gone into like an in-depth study myself where I'm like um like I I come back to my body and I get on my voice notes and I'm like I just went to Korea you know like it's like <laughs> right. never been like that deep of a study but I definitely have gotten good at lucid dreaming to the point where I know I have like like I taught myself how to drive a manual like how to drive a stick shift in a dream that's amazing yeah it was crazy I I dreamt about I had never driven one before and I dreamt about that I was driving and I knew how to use the clutch and to push it down and take my foot off the gas I mean I guess it's not like something that is like holy shit, you couldn't have just like picked that up from watching somebody drive one. But I didn't grow up, you know, with people driving did, a ton of Did Candace cars. Cameron show you how? <laughs> it was me and Candy. <laughs> um. And instead of a stick shift, it was a UFO. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but like, uh, I, and then I was in my friend's car uh, a, a, trip, a day though. later, and I knew mm-hmm. I was like, "Let me try to drive." I think I know how to do this, and I tried it, and I knew. <sighs> I like just remembered. Yeah, that's so cool. that's wild. It's like, what is that? Is there is there like information in that in that dream world that is just like a, a, a library of its own, or are we? Or are we pulling that information telepathically from people we know and like our surroundings? It's it's hard to figure out what's really going on there. But yeah. I don't know. I, it, it it seems to me that there is just like, you know, uh, Edgar Casey. He was this you know famous psychic. They called him the Sleeping Prophet, and they called him that for a reason because he would go into sort of these these dream sleeps where where all this information became available to him, and 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 he just had access to. You know, uh, he called it the uh, the Akashic record or something like right, that. But it, right. But it was through his dream world. It was through his dreams that it just it was like, you know, pulling up a, an index at a library and he could just just find out whatever information he wanted. But it was through his dreams. It's insane. Oh, God, I would love that. I would love to just like be in a dream and like go into a library and be like, show me how to make bibimbap. <laughs> right it's That's so very matrix like right when they like download i know karate like I, wouldn't that be yes. so cool yes but instead it's more like learning how to drive a stick shift or right you know i've Not seen yeah, that's pretty cool. Better I've than seen... having my father yell at you while you're trying to do it. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> you're grinding the gears, fun. Michael. <laughs> Much rather learn in a dream than with Joe McMillan. <laughs> I have had dreams where my grandfather, who passed about uh, 10 to 15 years ago, um, has have has visited me. At one point, he taught me how to fly, and he was a wolf in my dream. Um, and that was pretty fucking magical. That's Um, cool. And his Lakota name was Brave Wolf. Um, in English, Mm. that's what it was. But, uh, he appeared to me as a wolf and he was like, here's how you do it. I also had a dream when I was a child that I knew how I figured out how to fly. And what I did was I stood on my feet. I put my arms out to my sides, like, um, you know, just straight out at a 45 to my body. And I used the pressure of gravity or something 
akin to that. I pushed my arms down with like a force and it was as if I was pressing down on the air below me mm-hmm. and, and it moved my body up. So I wasn't necessarily flying, but I was like levitating. Oh yeah. By simply like pushing down on the air mm-hmm. uh, and letting like my lighter density rise. It was very strange, but That's I swear cool. I was like, this is how it's done. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. I I always have telekinetic dreams where I'm like, okay, I just remembered how to make this remote control float and come to me. And there's like a thing in my mind, in my dream, where I sort of cancel out the rest of like, it's almost like I'm canceling out my knowledge of how you're supposed to pick the thing up. Yeah. And then I connect with it sort of with this intention between me and the thing. And I can almost feel it like sort of anchor the intention mm-hmm. anchors to the remote. I don't know why it's always like a remote control. It's something small in my dreams. And then I will think, bring it over here, and then it'll come to me. You know what I mean? And then yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. I remember how to do this. This is so easy. Yeah. And then I yeah. always wake up from those dreams. I'm like, god damn it. You know, you know. let me change the verbiage on that, Michael. You probably you said, I think that it'll come to me. It's probably like I expect it to come to me. You know, because you're in the dream world. I think, I think our belief one in, in this physical realm it 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 inhabit it it inhabits us so deep within our DNA that like I think it, it it's our belief that holds us back from floating off the ground. We just believe it's so impossible, you know that that we've created our own reality within that belief, right? Like if we if we truly believed that we could you know, float a remote control across the room into your hand. I mean, truly believed, uh, then I believe it's possible. Like when you're in a dream, you believe to your core, anything's possible. Not only do you believe it, you expect that anything's possible. I can, you know, walk into this room and expect this to happen. And, And it does, you know, and I, I think it's those expectations when we, when we wake up and we get back into our normal day lives that are, that are holding us to this, you know, in, in, inhibiting all of our beliefs. Uh, I don't yeah. know. It <clears throat> is interesting because in, and I've, I have dreams. I'm sure everyone does. I know everyone does, but like I have dreams that are so emotionally moving and impactful that I do wake up and I'm for the rest of the day, I'm like fucked up about it. You know, like yeah. I, I believed it when it was happening. I believed got, I got dumped by Chad. I <laughs> goddamn it happened in the dream. I'm devastated all day. It like takes a lot to like shake me out of the like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Whatever the feeling. And so, and I have those same feelings about, you know, like flying or, you know, seeing something or experiencing something. It's a, it's, it is a re it's reality when I'm there. I know what and you're talking I about. Like, don't I, take away the disbelief when I wake up. Totally. We've all had those dreams where like, you know, your loved one or, or, or does something fucked up and you wake up and they're like, hey, good morning. And you're like, fuck you. You <laughs> yeah. know what you did. What? what you, in my <laughs> no, dream. Totally. You know. You, how yeah. fucking could you? Like, what are yes, you talking yes. about? Just don't talk to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have been so, wanting to know. do a, a high strangeness on those those cases of levitation, and there's about half a dozen of really good ones of people just floating off into the air, you know? Um, well, i got to look into that. Speaking of guys, high strangeness, yes, oh, please. I no, have no, a question. No. Do you, Who's the guy who can, like, rub a spoon 
and make oh, it melt. Oh, is he oh, a fraud? Yuri Geller. No, absolutely. Oh, Yuri yes. Geller. Yes, he is. Did no, you guys just did an episode on Yuri Geller yeah, or something? Just did. And they're, <laughs> yes. and they're very yes. divided on him. Yeah. No, Bryce is in the oh, believe yeah. it camp. I'm in the bullshit camp when it comes to You are I mean, wait, I, wait. I want to hear bullshit. I want to hear the bullshit. I, I, I just think he's a he's a skilled illusionist. Like you can uh-huh. look up so many videos on YouTube on how to bend spoons. I think he was I think he was an illusionist that like had a really cool backstory as part of his narrative, you know, as part uh-huh, of his uh-huh. of the character that he played on stage. I think it's I'm not saying it's bullshit. I don't just don't think it was like really real. I think But what are the mechanics of being able to do that? There you can look them up on YouTube. You can uh you can bend stuff with your thumb. You can there's sleight of hand uh-huh, tricks uh-huh. where you're doing okay. it and distracting you, you people. You have to preset the silverware. And let me just tell you, you know, Yuri <laughs> you all throughout you his life, <laughs> you don't have to. All throughout his life, people would offer him metallic objects that he would bend on command. It wasn't just spoons, it was keys, it was locks, it was all types of stuff they did a it study was of yuri geller was... at sri the stanford <laughs> it was ladles i loved that at the stanford research in- institute where you know scientifically conducted tests where he altered uh realities and physical objects and and you know there's research done on that you can read those papers i haven't but uh but you know <laughs> look i <clears throat> i i truly believe oh, i truly truly believe I truly believe that Yuri Geller is one of hundreds, if not thousands of types of people with those powers. The thing about Yuri was he just came through at around a time when television had caught his, had put the spotlight on him. So he's really representative of, of that type of, of power being, you know, cast into the spotlight. I, I truly believe that that Yuri Geller had extraordinary capabilities, not only psychical, but uh, telekinesis and, and, and the ability to to bend objects. You know, so he said a lot of it came from uh, electricity. Sometimes he had to, like, ground himself to a to a radiator to really make things work. There's that story when mm. when he was on when he was on a talk show in England. And he said right. he had the whole audience. We just did this. I know you're right. I know, but <laughs> but what's amazing is he had an effect on other people as well, like sort of really blossoming their sort of uh, psych. Look, we know ESP is a real thing. I mean, you cannot read Annie Jacobson's book Phenomenon and and not go okay. Extrasensory perception is a real thing. It should almost be taken off the bullshit and believe it list because we know that it, <laughs> it is, it exists but and it's some real. Some people don't believe in it. And so we at know that ghosts point, are real and we still have ghosts. On at the that list. point, it's just becomes a sliding gauge of what is possible. All right. Uh-huh. Look, okay. You can get that part out. Believe. I just, I just no, no. Ask. We'll absolutely keep <laughs> no, it in, but we stays. did just it do stays. this three episodes ago. <laughs> so for our listeners sake. We're going to move on. Uh, first of all, this episode is flying by, and we still have high strangeness left. But we got to play the game that we play with all of our guests. Jenna, if you listen to the show, you uh-huh. know what this is. Oh, I'm going to go wait. down a list of phenomenon rapid fire. If you're open to it, you're going to say believe it. If you're not, you're going to say bullshit. If you're somewhere in between, you still got to come down on one side. Yep. This is a game that we love to call bullshit or believe it. All right. Jenna Schmeeding. On your mark. Get set. Ghosts. Yes. Believe it. UFOs. Uh, believe it. 
Bigfoot. Believe it. ESP. Believe it. Shadow people. Uh, uh, bullshit? Unicorns. Bullshit. Alien abductions. <laughs> oh, believe it. Oh. Yeti. Believe it. Mothman. Bullshit. Out-of-body experiences. Believe it. Tarot cards. <laughs> Bullshit. Demonically possessed dolls. Bullshit. The healing power of crystals. Bullshit. An alien spacecraft crashed at Roswell. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster. Hmm. Bullshit. Atlantis. Uh, bullshit? Haunted Houses. Believe it? Skunk Ape. <laughs> Believe it. The Jersey Devil. <laughs> um, bullshit? <laughs> the Biblical Devil. B- bullshit. Speaking to the Dead. Believe it. Mermaids. Bullshit. The government is hiding the truth about Sasquatch. Believe it. Past lives. Um, believe it. Life on other planets. Believe it. Life after death. Believe it. Oh, congratulations. Nice. Flawless. It wasn't. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place. Well, Once I was actually confronted with the questions, I really I really flip-flopped on some of those. Let's uh, unpack it. Uh, tarot cards, crystals, hard bullshit on both. I mean, I feel like they've just been just truly exploited by white feminism in, in a way that is just a, a, a abhorrent. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm don't, sorry. Crystals belong in the land. <laughs> they are acquired in unethically. And uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure that people, wherever you need to get your like empowerment is fine. But also um, I get mine minute. from onions. We have to make a alteration to that T-shirt that we just dropped. We'll be right back. <laughs> um, what about uh, the government is hiding the truth about Sasquatch? Hard believe it on that one. You know, I just watched a documentary on Hulu, a documentary series about Sasquatch. Called Sasquatch, correct? Called Sasquatch. Yeah. yeah. And it seemed less, well, from that, it seemed less like the government was hiding it and more like a certain... I mean, I guess the government was part of hiding it. If it was, I don't know. Uh, ultimately, I, the government is hiding everything. Right. I believe that. Fair enough. They're sneaky. They're, They're sneaky. sneaky, the government. Um, all right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Hey, guys. Bryce here. Look, I know you know that I know you know that I love all things strange especially elusive North American wood apes who shall remain nameless. Bigfoot. It, it's Bigfoot. But did you also know that I created and developed a hilarious new party game called Dirty Picture Cover-Up? You see, the idea came to me when I was in high school, and I had to cover up all the dirty drawings my friends would draw in my yearbook so that I could show it to my parents without having them realize just what a bunch of degenerates my friends were. And believe me, they were. It was then that I realized that not only is it fun to draw dirty pictures, but it's even more fun to cover them up and turn them into something not dirty. And so, Dirty Picture Cover-Up, or DPCU, was born. 
The game is simple. Draw a dirty picture, cover it up, be judged, win. And as a way to say thanks for supporting, I'm offering our listeners a 15% discount by using the promo code BIGFOOT. Okay, fine, I'm obsessed with Bigfoot, and you'll be obsessed with DPCU. To get yours, just head over to thedpcugame.com, that's thedpcugame.com, and get yours today. All right, it's time for this week's Story of High Strangeness. It's a Bryce episode. Yuri Geller Part 2. Bryce, go go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Did we lose Bryce? Oh my god, did we lose Bryce? Oh no, you jinxed it. Oh my god! No, no, no! I was on, I was on mute. I was yelling at my kids. Oh. <laughs> I was on, and I did a ladle joke off of your Yuri Gelly thing. Oh but, uh, boy, it's lost oh. in the in the in the multiverse. Oh, now. we'll never Fair know enough. that. <laughs> yeah, I should. I'll, I'll make sure not to mute next time I yell at my kids because it can be quite entertaining. Oh, we love it when you yell at your kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. and good. it's good to have you know a little audio proof for, for Don <laughs> right. when the yeah no you're social right. services you're absolutely come right. You know, yeah. I am a mandated reporter over. myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when texting shut the fuck up just doesn't work sometimes you need a verbal cue uh this next story of high strangeness takes place some 200 years ago in the small town of Gévaudan in the southeast of france an unassuming village that consisted mostly of peasants shepherds and farmers doing their best to eke out a living little did they know that their quiet town would become known far and wide as the hunting grounds of one of the most nightmarish oh, yeah. and deadly monsters of nice. all time. Nice. A terrible scourge known only as the Beast of Gévaudan. Oh, hell Ooh. yeah, dude. I'm so psyched you're doing this. Great. I've never this heard time. of this. A lupine-like creature that even still today makes people who inhabit the area shudder. It all started in June of 1764 in the Merquois Forest near Langone in the eastern part of Guévaudan. A young woman named Marie Jean Vallée was out watching her cows when suddenly from out of the forest edge a hideous black beast came charging at her. Her dogs fled in terror and if that weren't for her cows who kept the monster at bay with their horns, the creature would have surely devoured her. Luckily, the young woman got away with only a few scratches, some torn clothes, and an encounter she would not soon forget. Upon her return, horrified villagers heard a frightening description of the beast from a shaken Marie who said, It was like a wolf, but not a wolf. About the size of a cow, or even a horse with a very wide chest, a huge head and neck, short straight ears, and a nose like a greyhound. Two long fangs protruded from each side of its powerful razor-toothed mouth. The creature had talon-like claws, and its tail was long and exceptionally thin with a jet-black stripe running from the top of its head to the tip of its tail. So, basically, if you've ever seen The NeverEnding Story, I'm pretty much describing Gamork. The creature, yes. Terrifying. was said to move with lightning speed and could jump as far as 30 feet in a single bound. And while Marie might have gotten away with her life, others were not so lucky. In the months that followed, terror swept the region. The beast attacked women and children and unaccompanied men who took livestock out to pasture. 
Many, and I do mean many, were devoured and carried off into the woods, and the villagers would often find half-ravaged bodies and torn-off limbs scattered about. As the massacres continued unabated, the villagers came to think of the creature as less of a wolf-like animal and more as some type of devil dog straight from hell. And when people referred to the beast, everyone knew what they meant. Fear spread all over the region as the beast crisscrossed the mountainside, leaving a trail of carnage. Panic set in and people began to barricade themselves in their homes, not daring to take their livestock out to pasture or even walk through the woods alone. The peasants of the town worried that their simple farming tools were no match for the beast. And to make matters worse, hardly any of them possessed firearms. Nonetheless, they formed small groups of brave men and women in an attempt to track the beast down. And those who did have guns, usually hunters employed by the noble houses of the region, tried in vain to kill the beast, but their guns seemed useless. For when they shot at the creature, it seemed to have no effect. On October 8th, 1764, two hunters saw the beast and shot at it from close range. This time, the creature fell, but to their surprise, it immediately got up again. They shot at it again, only to have the same thing happen. And although the beast seemed unsteady on its legs, it managed to run off into the forest and escape. The people of the village were sure that it had been sorely wounded and would be found dead the next day. Unfortunately for them, and much to their horror, several more victims were killed in the days that followed. From this episode, the legend arose that the beast could charm firearms. The next month, a Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel took firm control of the already out-of-hand situation. He organized enormous hunting parties with every able man available, led by his dragoons of mounted infantry, infantry who used horses for mobility but dismounted to fight on foot. But his efforts were useless. The beast proved too quick and too intelligent to let itself be caught in the captain's trap. And over the course of several weeks, every time one of Duhamel's dragoons thought they had succeeded in killing the creature, it somehow always managed to escape. A large reward was offered for the capture of the beast, dead or alive, which brought hunters from all over France. <clears throat> the bounty went on for months, and in the end, the peasants became disgruntled with the efforts. They'd had enough of the bounty hunters who ate their bread, trampled their fields, and invaded their houses. As if to pour salt on the wound, the beasts launched into a massacre of the villagers right under the noses of the hunting parties. By this time, stories of the beast reached legendary status, spreading in newspapers from Boston to Brussels, becoming one of history's first media sensations, prompting the King of France, Louis XV, to take action. He sent a man by the name of Deneval to the district. Deneval was a reputed hunter who was said to have killed over 1,200 wolves, and so he began tracking the beast with six of his best bloodhounds near Malzieu in February of 1765. Now, he'd been in the area for about a month when three children from the Denise family, Julien, her sister Jeanne, and her brother Jacques were watching their livestock near Malzieu. Jacques was busy lighting a fire and Julien had wandered away when suddenly Jeanne let out a great cry. The beast was upon her, seizing her by the head. Jacques somehow managed to save his sister by throwing the beast into the fire and holding it over the hot coals. But the howling beast got away. 
Jian was left with two gaping wounds, one behind each ear and a torn shoulder. But worse was that Jian went mad, never to recover her sanity again. Julianne never forgave herself for not being there to protect her sister and vowed revenge, claiming, It is either the beast or me. And she could often be seen clambering up the slopes of Malzu as if to provoke a fatal confrontation with the beast. Her brother Jacques also vowed revenge and joined up with Deneval, the renowned wolf hunter, but it made no difference. The beast avoided capture at every turn, leaving in its path a trail of slaughtered limbs. For a while, the killing ceased. <clears throat> oh, yeah. That was until the Great Spring this Fair. Is, this 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 guy's gory as fuck. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is one of my most gory. So uh, I only slaughter the limbs. <laughs> it's, it's pretty metal. Uh, you shall know me by my wake of limbs. <laughs> <laughs> that was until the Great Spring Fair held at Malzu, France in May of 1765. The joy of the occasion was immediately dashed when a horse rider galloped up and shouted, Marguerite is done for! The beast has got her! Marguerite was a friend of Jacques Denis's, the brother who had sworn revenge. They found poor Marguerite's motionless body at the entrance to the village, her throat ripped open, lying in a pool of her own blood. That day, the beast killed three more, not even bothering to eat its victims. Rage and despair drove the peasants back to action, They grabbed long forks and bayonets and put their dogs onto the still fresh scent. Jacques led them out, out for blood himself. Soon enough, he found himself face to face with his enemy for the second time. He attacked it violently with his bayonet. The beast seemed unconcerned, baring its fangs. It leapt at Jacques. Fortunately for him, the other hunters fended off the attack, and the beast once again fled into the forest. Now, the king was furious when he heard the news. Stories of the beast were making France look ridiculous in the eyes of its neighboring countries. So, the king charged his personal gun carrier and lieutenant of the hunt, Francois Antoine, with putting an end to this interminable problem. Deneval, the king's first emissary to rid Guévedon of the beast, gave up in June. And in an ironic farewell to him, the beast rampaged once again, killing even more villagers. The town's priests made no quorums about it. The beast was a messenger of evil, sent to punish the people for their sins. The peasants had somehow also sensed its supernatural powers and began to whisper that witchcraft must be involved. Seeing as how the beast of Guevadon seemed unkillable, and after all, there was a stone castle nearby in the town of Bessieres that was built on an ancient druid sanctuary. Or perhaps... It was that boy Jean from the Chastel family who went off to live in the wild of the woods where it was rumored that he flirted with black magic and nature spirits. For three months, Francois, the king's personal bodyguard and assassin, prepared. He drew up some maps, made a survey of the routes uh, taken by the beast and built his small army of villagers. And on September 21st, he decided to act. He drummed up 40 local hunters and 12 dogs and set out to encircle the beast. He chose a place near the woods of Palmiers, and his intuition was proved right when all of the sudden, the beast sauntered into the sunlight. De Botern shouldered his gun and fired, fired, striking the beast's right soldier. He fired again, and the shot went through its eye and skull. The beast fell, and the gunman sounded the horn in triumph. Suddenly, to everyone's astonishment, the beast of Guevedon got up and made its way towards Antoine, as if to say... I may come and go as I please. 
and that's when everyone opened fire, hitting the creature from every angle. And just like that, the beast collapsed. The scourge of Guevedon was killed, stuffed, and taken to the king's court, where it became an object of curiosity. The beast was then moved to the Museum of Natural History in Paris, where it stayed until the beginning of the 20th century. Problem solved, right? Or at least so they thought. Back in the villages, people did not dare believe it was true. In fact, Jacques Denis, who had followed the Great Hunt, was on his way home where he crossed paths with his sister, Julian, who exclaimed, So, you too believe the creature is dead. Foolish brother. I told you it would be that creature or me, and I am not done with it yet. She then made a strange accusation. The boy who ran off to live in the woods, Jean Chastel, knows the beast still lives and is watching us. I am going to Bessier to catch it once and for all. And she set off across the woods in a raving frenzy and was never seen again. And much to the villagers' nightmarish surprise, the killings continued as before. Frustrated, the king forbade anyone to even speak of it, and the resurrection of the beast enforced its already superstitious lore. People said the animal was not some man-hungry wolf, but a hound from hell. Winter came, along with continued carnage. People entrenched themselves in their home with the shutters closed. Jacques and his father set out to find the remains of Julian in order to give her a proper burial, but they found nothing. Only the megalithic tombs and monoliths associated with pagan rituals deep in the woods. Seemingly out of options, the peasants turned to God, as hundreds of them set off on pilgrimages to Notre Dame at the foot of Mount Chevet, where they celebrated Mass and took Holy Communion and prayed for a respite, when none other than Jean Chastel, the wild man of the woods, showed up, armed with his blunderbuss rifle a short-range gun that could be loaded with shots, slugs, nails, you name it. Only Jean had purposefully loaded his with ceremonial trinkets made of silver, perhaps of the Virgin Mary, which he had blessed by the priests. And on June 19, 1767, a noble of the region organized a huge hunting party of 300 men. Chastel positioned himself in the Beale Ravine away from the other men. He opened a mysterious book and read it aloud and waited for his adversary. Suddenly there was a rustling of the leaves and a furtive shadow. The beast came forward as if summoned by Chastel. He finished reading his prayer or incantation and slowly closed his book, taking off his glasses and putting them in his pocket while the beast waited patiently, for it knew it was about to meet its destiny. Chastel raised his gun and fired, and the beast fell. Jean Chastel simply said, Beast, thou wilt eat no more. The carnage had indeed ended. All in all, the unknown creature was said to have killed at least 100 villagers between 1765 and 1767. Some say the number is way higher. Regardless... The beast's reign of shocking violence lives on in the collected memories of the people of that region. For Guévedon no longer exists. It became part of the new department of Louis after the French Revolution of 1789. A statue was even erected in honor of a young Marie-Jean Valet, now known as the Maid of Guévedon, defending herself from the beast by piercing its broad chest with a lance. And on the very spot where the beast was slayed, even up to this day, the grass 
no longer grows. And that is the story wow. of the Beast of Guevadon. Oh, Sorry damn. for just murdering all those French words. <laughs> that was the like, beast I murdered French was... men, and I murdered French words. <laughs> I really was transported to like story time in elementary school. Just truly sitting here captivated Boy. by that. That was dramatic. Wow. Oh, good, I've, good. I've I've been watching Outlander this week, and oh, I yes. watched Barry Lyndon. So like. I feel like I was really could picture this era really well. Yeah. Like telling that story. Yeah. Whoa. Well done, Bryce. Uh, Jana, what the hell was that? What What's the hell this? was that? I mean, what? I believe the people. They had a beast on their hands. <laughs> and of course, I was envisioning the giant uh, wolf dog from Neverending Story. Oh, yeah, uh, totally. And. I don't know. It's so see, this is the kind of shit that I'm like, this really messes with my brains because you have two brains. My, all of my brains are so, uh, fucked up from this story. I, I like, this is like, it's gotta be either a a dog or like a person. I mean, who else true? What, what else like rips through a community? I mean, this is truly, if you think about this experience as a person living in this community at this time, Oh my God. Like the trauma, my God. Yeah. Oh, the trauma. I mean, you know, it's interesting you say that because some even speculated that it may have been a serial killer in, that's what I'm thinking. Like a wolf's hide. But, but how, how does that explain the, the, un? You know, I mean, because there are so many reports of people shooting at this creature, and it dude, not, not he made himself anything. some cast iron armor that he put yeah. under <laughs> the hide, yeah, of the wolf, and then he's mm-hmm. just got like all these. He he made himself like seventeenth or eighteenth century Wolverine claws, yeah, you know, yeah. out of sharp like <clears throat> steel. And then he just slashed and dashed his way through that those villagers, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's fascinating because, y- you know, through some of the places I researched it, even like the Smithsonian had an article on it because it really did. Ex- I mean, it really did get sent to the Museum of, of, of Natural History in Paris. And so they did capture something and it was stuffed and taken to the king at Versailles. But and, that's but, like when they catch the first shark in Jaws and they say, right. open the beaches. Right. Yeah. Right. It's exactly it's what shark. it's like. That's yeah. not the shark. It, it's either a serial killer or like a dire wolf of some kind. Yeah. You know, some mutant hybrid wolf that was like really hard to kill, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It was tearing through people. No. I mean, it's got echoes of the Skinwalker Ranch stuff too with the giant wolves that's mm-hmm. allegedly showed up there. Well, you know, so, you, it's interesting you say hybrid because Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel wrote in a journal, quote, you will undoubtedly think like I do that this is a monster, the father of which is a lion. What its mother was remains to be seen. Interesting. So, I mean, everybody seemed to agree on one well, thing, that it wasn't I mean, they used a, to have yeah. lions in England, right? So- yeah. Do they they must have had lions or large cats? Well, I'm sure there France. were big cats. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it was some relic big cat. Maybe it's mane, you know, that had a dark mane going down its back. Yeah. And people thought 
oh, it's a wolf because they had never seen a big cat like that in the flesh. Yeah. You know, yeah. that could totally be it. And it would be bigger than, you know, think about that. That, that would work. Well, and yeah. I also love this story because it's it's sort of some of the first inklings of where we get, you know, silver killing the werewolf. Because, yeah. you know, there was a few places that – and this and this Jean Chastel was a very interesting character. He had set off to live out in the woods. And some think that even it was his, like, pet that he had, like, mated, like, a, a large wolf with his powerful – dog and uh and trained it to like kill you know but well. uh but i don't know so and then I, I always sort of obviously you saw me sort of latch on to the the you know superstition and and pagan ritualistic type of stuff i which i thought was interesting like he summoned up this this beast dog from hell and uh I Who just knows. feel like that's like of that's how they're going to explain any well of course of course time is like but I'll tell you, I've been to Animal Tracks in Santa Clarita, and they have some wolf-dog hybrids there. And those things are massive. Yeah. Like, their heads come up to my sternum, and I'm, like, 6'2", almost. Oh, man. And so anything that big or bigger is going to look like a fucking monster. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Man. Yeah, I've seen wolves, like, uh, I, I when I was younger uh on a trip back to the reservation where i came from we stopped at a ranch that had um this was like bet in the 90s and we we stopped at a ranch that that housed the the owners uh owned the wolves that were in the movie dances with wolves <laughs> mm. <laughs> and that's wild and also some of the buffalo um but i remember you know there's the, in these giant pens this these people like had these wolves like living and they were huge. Right. Mm. And they would like come up to the cage or the pen, you know, the chain link and the wolves would stand up and put their, you know, their, their front legs on the, on the person's shoulders and would be, you know, a foot at least taller than the person. <laughs> wow. Just huge. No good. Yeah. No bueno. Yeah. Well, well done. Another one for the books. That's a classic. Oh, and I was going to mention there's a movie called Brotherhood of the Wolf, a French film. Oh, yeah, that's right. About this, which I've never seen. And maybe we should do that as a movie club movie sometime over. Yeah, I read a little bit about that. One of the characters, I think the King's Lieutenant of it's based on uh, the that guy, uh, Deneval, the King's uh, Lieutenant of the Hunt. Uh, Yes. I think we should watch it. Yeah. Uh, Jana Schmiedberg. Schmiedberg. See, I did it. I knew oh I was going to. Please keep up. that in. That is, I've never heard that. <laughs> That's amazing. I knew I was going to mess it up at some point. <laughs> Jana Schmiedberg. We had a whole conversation before where I was nervous. I've been really in my head about it. I almost made it. Jana Schmiedberg. My God. Schmiedberg I'm... is kind of rad, though. I'm not joking. Like, I, it's never that that I've never I, heard, and it was. My, I don't know why. I, don't know. I have a friend whose last name is Silverberg, and somehow I just combined it in my brain when I was saying <laughs> it. Um, Schmieding, Ms. Schmieding. Um, thank you. Oh, such an idiot. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we don't know where to find the Beast of Guavadon, but where can people find you? Um, well, you can find me on the show Rutherford Falls on Peacock. You can also find me on social media at Jana Unplugged, spelled in a very um, American, America Online 
uh, way, <laughs> like <laughs> Yahoo, Instagram, Instachat or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook, but um, you can follow my socials and see me around. Fantastic. Done. And please uh, watch Rutherford Falls. Uh, Jana's great in it and uh, it's worth it. I Check it out. Um, any word yet of season two? Anything you don't know? No word you yet, know? but I personally feel like it would be a huge mistake if they didn't pick us up yeah. for a season two. Fantastic. That's just Good my point. opinion. Well, congrats <laughs> on yeah. your success. That's awesome. Thank uh, you. And thanks again for being here. Uh, Bryce, Riley, anything to plug before we head out? Uh, you know, just follow me on the social. I'm at uh, Mr. Bryce Johnson on Instagram and Bryce O. Johnson at Twitter. Find me there. Great. Yeah, and I'm uh, Peace Drone on Instagram. And uh, we talked talked about it at the beginning of the show. Talk about it at the end. Please come check out our Patreon, Big Book Collectors Club, The Other Side. It's, uh, it's a labor of love, and there's a whole back catalog just waiting for you over there. So uh, come check it out. Fantastic. Patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm at McMills on Instagram. Follow me there. Uh, Janice Schmeeding, thank you one last yeah, time. seriously. Thank uh, you so clubs, much for having me. Club Scouts of all timelines. Uh, until, until we meet again. Good night. And go get regressed. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.